Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Syracuse Sports, presented by Krause Health, the exclusive healthcare partner for Syracuse Athletics. My name is Brent Dax. I have a very festive sweater on, as you will see if you're watching on YouTube. I will explain this a little bit more uh, as we go through here. And this was a bit of a mystery guest for our Syracuse Sports Insiders, because if you're a Syracuse Sports Insider, you are involved in the process. You get a text from me, I'll ask for your feedback, I'll ask for your questions and your opinions on guests that we've had on the show, John Garcia Jr. included, a recruiting expert who we had on earlier this week. I always like to keep the insiders in the loop, because that's why you sign up to be a Syracuse Sports Insider, by texting the word ORANGE to 315-847-3895. But I kept this one a mystery. Now, a couple of you did guess this, right? So congrats to those of you that got it right. Our guest today is Ian Eagle. One of the best play-by-play broadcasters out there, NFL on CBS. He is going to take over for Jim Nance, calling the Final Four on CBS this year, something we will certainly talk about with Ian coming up. His son Noah is out there in the broadcasting world, and they are working together now on Brooklyn Nets broadcasts, some great Syracuse stories. We go through it all with Ian Eagle, some NFL talk, and how he got the gig at CBS. That's an incredible story in and of itself. So if you did guess, Ian Eagle, congratulations. That was our mystery guest that I noted out there to our Syracuse Sports Insiders earlier this week. But we would love for you to become an insider because you get priority when it comes to feedback, opinions, questions for this podcast and our Syracuse Sports postgame shows. We're doing postgame shows after every Syracuse basketball game. We'll be doing one for the Boca Bowl coming up next Thursday as well. Our insiders get their questions highlighted, answered, not just on this podcast. You text me directly. I text you directly. Your questions, your opinion, your feedback. It's been incredible through the coaching search, now through recruiting, basketball, kicking into gear, all kinds of questions and comments and great stuff that you guys have. It's been incredible. We would love to see you join the club. And as noted, All you have to do is text the word ORANGE to 315-847-3895. It's a two-week free trial. It's just $3.99 a month after that. What a holiday gift to give, right? The stocking stuffer, all the Syracuse fans are going to want. And by the way, you can cancel anytime, right? Try it out for a couple weeks and make your holiday that much better, right? I'm going to get out of the way because we had a really fun conversation with Ian Eagle from CBS Sports, Syracuse alum. We covered a lot of ground in this one, including uh, he lives seven minutes away from Tommy DeVito. It's Tommy DeVito's world, and we're just living in it right now. What's that like? We'll get into it all coming up here with the legend, Ian Eagle. All right, so for the people watching on YouTube, I have to explain something real quick. So when I texted Ian a couple of weeks ago to come on the show, one of the first things he asked me was, uh, do I have to bathe for this? <laughs> and I, I appreciate you making the effort to do that. You look very well quaffed this morning, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Big, big question now in the podcast world, Brent, as you know, is it an on-camera podcast? Is it audio only? And that does... A- affect my life it affects my bathing schedule so it's it's really the first question i don't want to bait and switch uh, i don't want someone telling me <laughs> hey i need you for the podcast then i show up and i didn't realize it was on camera i i have a reputation to maintain that's right i would <laughs> like to see you your non-camera look oh on camera yeah. one time we'll no, have to do no. that 
Not a great look. It's a full beard. It's a backwards hat. Uh, it's <laughs> a tank top. Yeah, it's like a combination of a lot of different looks. I just pour into one look. So that's not, not going to happen. The second thing I need to explain, so I got to stand up a little bit to show people here. So this sweater I'm wearing. Oh, wow. It's my friend Snoopy here. and Love it. These these light up down here. Okay. Oh, oh. yeah. There, there's electricity in there? There's There are batteries in here. I've had this sweater for about five years. It still lights up. Haven't changed the batteries. Because the other thing I said to Ian was holiday sweater is optional. So one of us, I thought you were joking. One of us came in a holiday sweater. I said, I, "I've got to follow up on this now. I have one ugly sweater, if you will. This is it. So try not to be distracted as you, you watch know, this this interview today, friends." Brent, something that I can harken back to my Syracuse days. You have to be curious if you want to be in this business. So right. the first thing that strikes me when you tell me about your battery operated sweater is that never gets washed. In my mind, it ever. does. Mm, does it? It does. Yep. Mm, how? Maybe twice in its history. Not a how? lot. I'm not saying a lot. Yeah. Hand wash with a wipe. Well, how do you do that? <laughs> That's the thing. There's batteries in here. So that's like, my point. You yeah, can't put that in the machine. What, a rogue battery gets out there, it's going to ruin the whole load of, of laundry. So, Brent, you understand that just spraying Febreze on something doesn't mean that it's been washed. Your definition and my definition might be very different of wash. I'm writing this down. Okay. Not <laughs> okay. Good to know. Good to know. Well, it's good to see you. And I'm glad you're here. And there's so much we could start with, but we have to start with this. And this is right in your area of the world. It's Tommy DeVito's world and we're just living in it. Right. Oh my goodness. What a story. This former Syracuse quarterback spends a year at Illinois, comes yep. to the Giants. And <laughs> this is my favorite thing in sports right now. And you could appreciate this being right there in Jersey, the, the family, the whole thing, the, the, the Italian sign. Just, yep. I mean, this is, this is great. This is great. And I, I hope this, I, I don't know how long the story can keep going, but I am enjoying it thoroughly uh, yep. as it happens, especially as my mother is a uh grew up in north jersey she's from tom's river uh let's go i mean this this is just the best so this is a phenomenon there's no doubt about that i don't think you even have this knowledge as we start the interview he lives about seven minutes from where i'm sitting right now wow so he is very local very local to me and a, a couple of things strike me here you're someone that has followed the NFL for basically your entire life. Mm -hmm. And one thing that fascinates me about the National Football League is the life of the backup quarterback. You could have a 10-year career in the NFL if you're in the right situation as a backup QB and you never have to actually play. Right. Just be a good guy, good practice player, good in the quarterback room, Coaches like you, lead quarterback likes you, GM likes you, owner likes you. You can make a tremendous living and literally play double-digit years in the NFL. This is where it gets interesting. You could be out of the league if you actually have to play, and they see that they can't win with you. Tim Boyle with the New York Jets. He was just minding his business. He was a third QB on the team behind Aaron Rodgers and Zach Wilson, and now he's off the team. He's currently out of the league because he had to play. 
That's and right. he got exposed for not being able to truly run the offense in a game situation. Tommy DeVito, I don't know what's going to happen ultimately. They're obviously paying Daniel Jones a lot of money, and they'll have decisions to make down the road. But what Tommy DeVito has done in his three last three starts for the Giants is shown to the rest of the league that he can win a game in the NFL. He has enough credibility to run the offense. That could buy him, I'm not exaggerating, six years in this league, six years of salary because a GM will say, you know what? We need him on our team, just in case. So good for him. How it all works out with the New York Giants, we do not know. But he has shown that he can play in this league, belongs in this league, and it really is a tremendous story. Well, there's a couple things that come to mind there. One is what you brought up about how you can just spend a life in this league as a backup and never see the field. There is another Syracuse example of that. Ryan Nassib. Ryan Nassib plays for the Giants. Eli Manning happens to have like the longest starting streak in NFL history. My man never gets on the field. He collects NFL checks. Now he's, I believe, working in the finance world like, hey, Way to go, way to cash in and have the best job in the world and, and not get your head knocked around. So there's that. There's also, I have to ask you about being Tommy's neighbor too, so we'll come back to that. But look at the world now, Ian. Look at look at going down the stretch. I think I saw a stat the other day that there's like a billion dollars worth of quarterbacks that yeah. aren't on the field right now, right? Joe Burrow's out, all these big-time starters that are trying to you know either play hurt or are not on the field. So in the question of the NFL is, Look at like Chicago and Carolina and all these teams. They're going to have high draft picks again. Do you take another quarterback to go with a high level quarterback, Daniel Jones? The answer has got to be yes, right? Because the quarterback depth is, is being pushed to the limit. And we're seeing it play out right now as we go down an insane stretch of the NFL schedule where basically everybody's eligible for the playoffs right now. 53 different starting quarterbacks in the NFL this year. Wow. That is wow. a exorbitant number. And it shows you that this league is going to live by the quarterback and die by the quarterback. Doesn't mean that the games aren't important. Doesn't mean that the games aren't exciting. Doesn't mean that there isn't drama. Doesn't mean that the viewership goes down. But the level of play certainly takes a hit. I worked a Thursday night game last week on the radio, and it was Mitch Trubisky and Bailey Zappi. And yeah, entertaining enough game and Steelers had a chance down the stretch to maybe get back into it, didn't, and now their playoff hopes take a hit. But that's where we are. So, yes, you're Tommy DeVito. You now have tape. You have legitimate tape to show that you belong in this league. There are very extreme examples on both sides. The game that I have this week coming up, Arizona-San Francisco. Kyler Murray, number one overall pick in his draft. That team is 3-10. and He's been hurt most of the year. Brock Purdy, the last pick in his draft. That's right. The last pick. Mr. Irrelevant is now an MVP candidate in year two. San Francisco's 10 and three. They've got the inside track to get the number one seed in the NFC. So a lot of wackiness, as we know, in the NFL, but that quarterback position, it's the most important position in sports. And the reminder that you better feel comfortable with who you have as your backup quarterback, that cannot be just a dismissed position on your team. You're paying your starting quarterback $35 million. 
you better get a QB with some credibility as your backup just in case. So I got to go back to this DeVito thing. You're seven minutes from where he lives. Yes. He's as famous. We, we now know lives with his parents, smart, <laughs> smart move. You know, you're still on a, you know, free agent quarterback undrafted salary. It's not, I mean, he said it last night that all this attention is going to be good for business. Like I think sure. he's going to be able to afford his own place soon. Right. Uh, maybe still, a condo. Why not? Right. right. I think a condo is very much in the cards here. for yeah, Tommy Absolutely. The housing market's tough right now. So live at home as long as you can, Tommy. That's my advice to you. But like, do you ever see this guy at Starbucks or like grabbing a Taylor ham bagel somewhere? Or like, do you run into the DeVitos? Do you, has Tom DeVito come and worked on your house? He's a plumber, right? <laughs> like you ever see him uh, around? One word answer is no, mm. but we do frequent the same establishment. So I've seen so many social media posts in regards to Tommy DeVito and the places that he eats and where he gets his food. I go to all those places. Those are places that are certainly within my purview. And I just find it hilarious. It's, it's been very funny for all the people that live in this area. And it, it really has been this groundswell within New Jersey of backing this kid. Uh, it, it's a fun story. It is. And yeah. look, Bren, you know, you, you lived it with him at Syracuse and the hopes and the expectations when he came in. He was a big-time recruit. He was. This was someone that Dino Babers believed was going to help bring the program to another level. And there were flashes. There were moments where you could see that, that he had a lot of ability. It just never quite came together and you know part of it is on so many different circumstances but your skill position players and the coaching and you and, and tommy your himself uh, whether he was at his best he goes to illinois for the one extra year uh, he gets a dream of a lifetime an invite to to make the giants and just that being on the practice squad i've got to tell you a lot of people took pride in this area that he was just on the roster in some form and with Daniel Jones going down and with Tyrod Taylor going down and DeVito now pushed into the role as a reserve and then a chance to get reps and to practice. And it's another reminder of circumstances in this league. Do you have the right coach? Do you have the right system? Do you have the right players around you? Do you have the right amount of support and positivity and optimism? Does the team still want to win, by the way? And the Giants clearly do, no matter what some giant fans might feel about getting a higher draft pick. The thing about the NFL, Brent, and I know you know this intimately from your days with the Buffalo Bills, when you win in the NFL, it affects everybody in your facility. I'm not talking about every player and coach. It affects the marketing person. It affects the person manning the front desk. It affects the security people. It affects the whole tone of your building. When you lose... Same deal. So winning in the NFL is not a one-day celebration. It spills over. It's six days of feeling a certain way. These teams want to win. That's their goal week in and week out. Fans, different agenda. I get it. You want the highest draft pick. You want the best player to come in the following year. Most teams do not feel that way. You've got 53 guys on a roster. You can't tell a second string linebacker that's trying to put good tape out there. Hey, don't hit quite as hard today because right. 
because we're trying to secure the number three pick. It just doesn't work that way. And Tommy DeVito will never buy another chicken cutlet sandwich <laughs> in his life in the state of New Jersey. As and Brent, that pregame setup, we've seen all wow. the videos. It looked wow. fantastic. Let's face it. It looks highly appetizing. Stepped up the tailgate game beyond anything you can imagine, right? You're throwing a couple of hot dogs on your little grill. Come on, you got to step it up to the DeVito family level. That's huge. Right. The guy shows up with a George Foreman grill and, and <laughs> three sabrettes. He's like, oh, this isn't going to cut That ain't it. it. That ain't it. Not going to cut it anymore. So on a different note, you're you're uh, somebody I, I have my daughter's going through the college process now so you can you can relate to what it's like to have that feeling you send your child off to college and this child takes advantage of this great education that they get sure they get gainful employment right out of college hey fantastic that's why i sent you there right sure. and now you get to see him every day at work like didn't you get rid of this kid the Snow Eagle <laughs> kid, and now he just wants to come back home. But at least he's coming home gainfully employed and not coming home. Tommy DeVito kind of the same way. At least he's got a job he's going to every day. He's not just coming home like, hey, sorry, this whole thing didn't work out. I'm just going to have mom's cooking here. But yeah. what a story that, you know, Noah couldn't be further away in a sense, right? He's with the L.A. Clippers and traveling all over the place. And you guys did cross paths a few times. But what an incredible story to have your son working with you every day no matter what line of work that would be this is a broadcasting business what's this been like for you we should probably put a disclaimer up brent before i even answer this question you were one of his professors at syracuse That's and correct. not just one of his professors one of the professors that had a huge impact on shaping his views on the business and how to approach it to this day uh, he will tell me that when he was interviewing teron lu but prior to every game and that's an important interview. It's face to face with the head coach. Uh, sometimes they're coming off a win. Sometimes they're coming off a loss. Sometimes there's adversity. Sometimes they're riding a wave, but you have to be consistent in how you do your job. And he would tell me all the time that the class that he took with you was highly impactful in how he approached those interviews, how he viewed it and not throwaways like, all right, yeah, just get through it. No, go in with a purpose, go in with a goal and an objective in mind. Don't ask questions that have a yes or no answer or are going to be brief in the response. So that's part of all of these experiences that you have when you get tossed into this business. Are you ready for it? That's up to each individual when it comes to broadcasting. The camera's the same, the microphone's the same, the markets are different, who you're talking to, your audience may be different, but everything else is controllable. And for Noah, I think his time at Syracuse was invaluable in preparing him for what he was going to do next. The personal side of it, which you alluded to, this is a dream come true for him to come back to the New York area where he grew up, to be around family, to be around friends, to be around the team that he grew up watching happens to be the Brooklyn Nets. He was a Net fan from literally birth. I've been doing these <laughs> games for 30 years, and he is now 27 years old. So you do the math, and you can understand he was born into the fandom, and the fact that he now gets uh, the chance to cover this team in some way as the play-by-play -play announcer, I think, for him is truly a pinch-me moment. For my wife, for my daughter, 
for us to be together, to share these moments again. He was in LA. It was 3,000 miles away. You've got FaceTime. Uh, you've got ways in which to stay in touch with daily texts. It's not the same. So to have him back home has been incredibly special. So you two get to work together. I'm sure through the years, of course, he's consulted you sure. on the, the business and you've talked about yes. that. Here, here's what I'm wondering. Now that he has gone into not only working with you with the Nets, his NBC job, just everything that he's been able to accomplish in a short period of time out of Syracuse, what have you learned from him? Great question. Uh, I think he has come at it with a lot of natural ease in which he goes about his business. On camera, he's just very comfortable. He's not changing into something. He's not turning into something else. And those are little teachable moments, even to remind yourself 30 years into a play-by-play -play career of don't make it more than it is. So as I get ready to call the final four this year, which is something new and something different. I've done the tournament literally for 26 years. So doing the tournament is nothing novel to me, but that stage and those games will be a bit unique compared to what I've done in the past. I think there is a, a nice reminder in that, hey, don't change. Don't be something different. Don't become something because of the event or the stage in which you're working. And for him, the part that struck me, I would get nervous prior to one of his NBC games, and then he would pop on for the opening standup, and I'd look in his eyes and I'd say, oh man, he is not the least bit overwhelmed or intimidated <laughs> by this at all. And it was a really nice reminder, even all these years into this career to keep things in perspective. So what's the dynamic like on the broadcast when you guys get to work together? Uh, by the way, happy birthday to Noah, who just celebrated yep. his birthday this week. In terms of are you having post-show meetings? Are you critiquing each other? Are you trying to kind of help each other along here? I mean, to have him in the process, and you know, you know as well as anybody how this works and sure. how much prep goes into each broadcast and what the producers do, what everybody does. What's that process yeah, so, like to have him a, a part of that? Yeah. Yeah. Our relationship hasn't changed very much from the time prior to him being in the business to where we are today. The dynamic between us is still the same, uh, which is uh, very close and can say anything to one another. My role in watching him and giving feedback is streamlined a bit. I, I don't see it as every broadcast, I'm going to send him a long text with 12 <laughs> things that he needs to work on. I see it more as when we have a discussion about things and it is a discussion, it's him sharing his thoughts and it's me sharing my thoughts. And it's not after every broadcast, trust me, there's no time for it. I'm busy, he's busy. It could be a quick text here, something that I notice. It could be a question from him, something that he's asking. It could be as, as simple as logistics, travel logistics, as he's going through this for the first time. Hey, I'm at this site. Can I make this flight? Is there enough time to get from West Lafayette to Indianapolis to make this flight? Should I book this flight? Should I go at this time? All of that that I've already been through. And a lot of it is based 
on that, more that experience. And there are times when uh, he was doing a rehearsal game. He's doing an NFL game coming up, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh on NBC with Todd Blackledge. So they called a Sunday night game a couple of weeks ago together from Stanford in the studio just to get into the NFL swing of things. And I had already had the two teams that he was calling. So I sent him a picture of my notes and said, hey, you're free to use whatever you like. And if it helps you in any way, great. And by the way, don't use any of it. it it's more along those lines and less about the instructional side. But if there is something that I notice, Brent, I'm certainly going to share with him and do it in a way that is constructive. We're at that point. This is no longer teacher-student. Uh, it, it's leveled off a bit in, in how we talk about the business. Now, you brought up the Final Four. I do want to circle back to that. But while we're talking about the, the Brooklyn Nets broadcast, I, I heard a recent interview with uh, Mike Tirico. You familiar with this, this fella? Spell it. What What's the last name? Tirico. T-I-R-I-C-O, formerly of WTVH5 in central New York, if that rings Good. a bell. That, that would that would seem like it would be more like Tirico, but that's fine. Tirico. Got right. it. Right. Tirico. <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll come to you. So I was listening to an interview with this fella, and he said that one thing that he really envies about what you do is that when Tirico came out of Syracuse, he went right to ESPN. Yep. He's been at sort of that level since. He's never worked for a local team. Right. You know, I and you're working for CBS, calling the National Football League. You mentioned the Final Four, which we'll get into shortly, and, and the events that you get to do. But you don't have to do the Brooklyn Nets games, right? Like if you really didn't want to, you didn't have to. So why still work for a local team, even though you've you've reached that national level? There's a connection there that you feel the people that are part of the team, coaches, players, that builds over time. Each iteration of the Nets, there's a revolving door, but you feel uh, a real relationship that grows and a relationship with the fans, with the audience. Uh, the fact that it's 30 years, this is more than half my life. I'm 54 years old. I've been doing this job for a very long time. They really did give me one of my first chances in this industry, took a chance on me as a young guy, uh, hoping to get into the play-by-play -play realm. And I still enjoy it. Ultimately, that's the key. I like doing games. I think it keeps me sharp. It keeps me focused. I like seeing the league. So when I do a game now for TNT, I've seen these teams. The Nets played the Phoenix Suns or the Denver Nuggets or name another Western Conference team that maybe I wouldn't have a chance to see until later in the year. It makes me better calling the league, calling more games. And I think it helps when you get into an NCAA tournament format and you've got four games in one day and the amount of information, it's a mountain. It is voluminous. And the fact that I'm preparing throughout the year, the muscle memory, and then as simple as this might sound, Brent, the actual calls in the moment, the reflexes required when you see something, you process it. And then you have to call it within a second. 
Well, I see it all the time. So there is something to be said for uh, the 10,000 hours concept. And I've thought for much of my career that I've stayed sharper because I call a lot of games throughout the year. Now, if I said I'm not doing those games anymore, would it affect performance? Would anybody notice? I don't know. But I know this works for me. And other than the travel, which is part of the deal, I'm not one to ever complain about that. If you don't want to go, don't go. If you don't want the assignment, don't take the assignment. I take the assignments knowing full well that this is part of the equation. So once you've accepted that, the complaining dims and you get focused on the game. My hope is when people watch, because it really is coming from a, an organic place, they hear someone that is excited to be there. And I'm excited to do whatever assignment it is, because this is what I always dreamed of doing. Speaking of organic, and, and you mentioned the 10,000 hours and the work that you put in and doing this and how it pays off. We are in a, not just a highlight society now, we're in a TikTok yeah. society, right? TikTok. Someone might hear your voice for 12 seconds while they're flipping on their phone. Yeah. Are you conscious of that? When, I don't think you're scripting anything per se, but are you conscious of that when there's a big play, you have this moment? right? Where the call's going to come out and it's going to end up on TikTok, Instagram, things of that nature. Like, has that shaped how you call games? You know what? I think about it now, Brent, and something that shaped my point of view was many years ago, I started doing voiceovers for the NBA based in Secaucus, New Jersey. And I would go in once a week and I would lay down tracks for a show called First NBA Jam. And then eventually... NBA action. And it's still a show that I do all these years later. I'm talking about 20 plus years of voicing this show. So I got a, a chance to see behind the scenes at the NBA, how they cut highlights, what they look for, how they catalog them. And something that I realized very early is the call, the actual play-by-play -play would play a role in whether or not a highlight got starred as a top-level highlight a mid-highlight or a low-level highlight. And that affected my thought process. Like, wait a second, there's somebody out there, this is before social media, really almost prior internet in many ways. We're talking about, you know, 1999, 2000, somewhere in that range where I really started doing this on a weekly basis. And I, I realized at that point that there is a visceral effect in how you call a game and the words you choose and the energy level that you use and the timing and the pacing of such. So to answer your question, today's world of TikTok and uh, Twitter, X and Instagram, no, it's not affecting what I'm doing in the moment, but I've had some good habits formed from early in my career of, hey, put a period on something, put an exclamation point, have an idea of where you're going. Don't completely wing it. You can't script these things. These things are happening in real time. But you can have some things marinating in your head. And I think the really good ones can summon them when necessary and come up with the right caption in the right moment. And that's really the key to this business. If you're just looking to go viral, it's not going to happen or it's going to go sideways on you. 
if you're truly living in the moment and trying to match the moment with your words, more often than not, something genuine will happen where people appreciate what you're doing and uh, the effort that you're putting in. So if the intern who put your bio together is correct here, <laughs> join, <laughs> join CBS in 1998 as a play-by-play -play announcer for college basketball. That's true. Okay. Fact check true. To go from that to, as you noted, you're calling the final four this year. Yeah. When you came to CBS, if I had told you on that day in 1998, when you were starting that NBA job, cutting highlights, and we were still in dial-up internet days, right? Yep. That you would call the final four one day. What, what would you have said? It's funny you, you ask it in that manner. So 1998, the story behind this is really interesting in that CBS was at the Winter Olympics, Nagano. So they still had games going on while they were preparing to cover a very large event. And it requires a lot of people. Uh, this was not at a time where you would have some people locally in the States that would call events off of a monitor. Everybody had to be there. So it was all hands on deck. I get a call that CBS is looking for some announcers for a just generic college basketball weekend. It happened to be February 7th, 1998. And it was the all-star weekend in the NBA. So it allowed me to free up to do this game. It was Vanderbilt at Arkansas. And it was a one-off. I get hired to do it. I fly down to Arkansas. I meet with Nolan Richardson. I'm working with John Sunvold. We do the game. The producer is a non-CBS producer. The director is a non-CBS director. And the game is not memorable by any stretch. But I did well enough that they called me back and asked, hey, are you available for Syracuse Georgetown later that month? I look at my schedule and I realize the Nets are playing the Indiana Pacers the same day. I cannot get out of this. There's oh. nothing in my contract that allows me to get out. And I can't believe I have to tell this person this, oh. but I said, I'm so sorry, I'm not available. And she said, oh, well, that's too bad. No problem. I will get back to you and let you know when our CBS seminar is for the NCAA tournament. And I'm on the other side of the line. I said, okay, sure. And I hang <laughs> up. I was like, okay, I, I'm sure they just say that to all the play-by-play -play announcers. I'm not doing the tournament. No one's told me that. So I call my agent at the time, tell him the conversation. And he said, no, I don't, I don't think so, but I'll check. Calls me back two hours later. He said, uh, I and they, they have you in for the tournament. Wow. Said, what? So now I get on the phone. I call my bosses at MSG. MSG was controlling the Nets broadcast at that point. It was all under the MSG umbrella, Cablevision. And fortunately, my boss at the time, Mike McCarthy, said, hey, look, I know how much this means to you. This is a big assignment. We're going to figure out a way for you to do this. And he did. He allowed me to be free for the week of the tournament. I didn't do that Syracuse-Georgetown game, but I did get off for the tournament. So I go to the CBS seminar, and this is where your question comes into play. Terry Ewert was the new executive producer at CBS Sports.
and he was taking over after the coverage of the Winter Olympics. So Winter Olympics ends. He takes over for Rick Gentile as the executive producer. And Terry was instrumental, along with Tony Batiti and Sean McManus, in hiring me for the NCAA tournament. And I go in, seminar, I'm blown away at this whole event. Every announcer is there. And the second day of the seminar, there's a media session. So you get placed in an area, and now media come over to discuss with you the NCAA tournament. Nobody comes to my area. Zero people, literally. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> so I'm just standing there. And Terry Ewart <laughs> comes over to me, and he says, uh, Hi, and how you doing? I said, oh, I'm doing great. Terry, excited, excited for the NCAA tournament. He says, I noticed uh, nobody's talking to you. I said, no, no, they're, they're not interested, I guess. He said, uh, one day, one day, they'll be interested in talking to you about the NCAA tournament. And then he walked away. And I thought, oh, that was nice. How about that? And then all these years later, I guess there is some interest. So Terry knew something in March of 1998 that I clearly <laughs> did not know. That's a phenomenal story. And now it comes full circle. And yeah. you brought up earlier, preparing for the NCAA tournament, is, it's not anything new to you. But I'm curious about that process, and we'll end on this note. So you, you're fully into the nets. You're doing your NFL stuff. You're, you're in yeah. your rhythm here. We're still in mid-December in college basketball. Things pop up. There's some big games, sure. obviously. But what's the, what's the buildup like? How many games do you do? How, how, how are you keeping up with college hoops and like what's what what's like the prep process knowing that the final four is still a few months away but you want yeah. to be as sharp as can be you know when it really kicks into gear and and joel and on my tv screen every day telling <laughs> me who's in and who's out right no doubt about it uh it's interesting because the duality of this time of year for me is heavy nfl wrapping up the season getting to the playoffs. I'll still do games on radio for the NFL playoffs. So I'm still engaged in the process and I'm knee deep in NBA. This in-season tournament was a new wrinkle. I was out in LA calling the semifinal game, which by the way, was a great scene. The, the fans were into it. it. It did what the NBA was hoping for. It created some conversation and buzz. And even for those that may not have been as uh, blown away by the idea, there was some juice. And it was a nice uh, little wrinkle in late November and early December. So college basketball is not dominant in my life today like it will be when we hit January, February, March, and April. But what I've noticed is middle of the week, random game on, instead of watching Access Hollywood at <laughs> 7.30, I bop around, and even if just a little bit a shred of information gets inside my head watching a Yukon game, a Kansas game, a Kentucky game, a North Carolina game, a Tennessee game, a UCLA game, whatever, whatever it might be, you take it. Osmosis is your friend at this juncture of the season. I'll get deeper into it uh, once the calendar turns. I'll be on CBS basically every week doing a college basketball game with either Bill Raftery or Jay Wright or Jim Spinarco or Clark Kellogg. And then conference tournament, 
I'll step into that Big Ten spot. So two semifinals and the championship round followed by the NCAA tournament. All in all, I'll end up doing probably 10 games. And it's interesting because there have been years, Brent, where I've benefited, where I get my assignment for that opening weekend and I've seen five of the teams where I've had them either that year or the previous year, there's some carryover and you walk in to that opening day and you feel highly prepared. And then there have been years where I've done a bunch of games during the season and I've taken the collar over none of the teams. It's just by chance, completely by chance who you get. It's a bear. And it's the only time that I would ever not even complain about it, just more detail the amount of preparation that goes into this particular assignment. It's a fire drill. You get the word on Sunday night, and then it's off and running, and you're just hoping to pack in as much information as possible without overkill for what you require for these eight teams and these four matchups, and then the games take over. If you get a great game, a lot of your information just stays there. It never goes out on the air because you've got a great game. If you have a blowout, guess what? You start leaning into that information more and more because you're trying to fill the empty spaces. And it's the same every year. I I feel a sense of, uh, I don't want to say anxiety, but just some agita the days leading up to the tournament because you know it's coming and I can't do anything about it. I can't start my preparation two weeks before. I'm a guy that likes to get ahead. If I've got an NBA game in two weeks, I'll start working on that game today so that I don't feel any stress in two weeks. NCAA tournament, you can't do it. You can't prepare for 68 teams. So it's luck of the draw and you just have to know Trust your process. Sunday night into Monday morning, you catalog it, you compartmentalize, and then you hit the books. And I'll end on this note, Ian. Uh, If my calculations are correct, that Syracuse-Georgetown game you were supposed to call, March 1st, 1998, Syracuse 77-Georgetown 72 in overtime. You nailed it. So you missed a good one, but I think it worked out for you. Worked out in the end. In the moment, it was as disappointed as I had been at any point in my career up until that phone call. Like that, that was a dream of mine to go back and call a Syracuse game at the Dome. It would have been eight years after graduation. I eventually got there for CBS and ended up calling a – a number of games, Syracuse games, whether it was at the Dome, on the road, you know, hanging with Jim Beheim, a little different dynamic, hanging with him as the CBS broadcaster as opposed to <laughs> WAER, a little bit, a little, little different, yeah. but uh, actually great experience. You know, he's uh, one of those people that, that we know watches everything, takes in everything, and uh, if you get him in that setting, he can be highly informative and helpful, uh, but we uh, we moved on from it, and uh, it all worked out in the end. Didn't get to call Syracuse Georgetown, but uh, I think when we look back on it now, I have no regrets how it all unfolded. 
Pleasure to have you here, sir. Really appreciate your time. Really happy to see uh, you and Noah working together and, and everything there. I appreciate the kind words earlier as well. And uh, you're, you're the best. We love having you on and a continued luck and success to you, my friend. We'll do it again down the road. But thanks for hanging with us today on Syracuse Sports, Ian. Yeah, my pleasure, Brent. Good luck with the college process. I, I know what <laughs> that's all about. It's fun. It's stressful. But uh, here's the one thing I'll say about it. It'll all work out somehow. I need to hear that. Thank it you. It all works out in the end. All the best, bud. Hey, guys, thanks again for hanging here on another terrific episode of Syracuse Sports. Cannot thank Ian Eagle enough for being a part of this. He tells some great stories there and always appreciate his time and getting to talk to one of not only one of the best broadcasters out there, just one of the best guys out there, one of the best people that work in the sports broadcasting industry and his time is always greatly appreciated as is yours thank you for listening thank you for watching on youtube please subscribe if you haven't just go to spotify apple wherever you get your podcasts youtube syracuse orange sports is our youtube channel make sure you are following you've liked and done everything so you know when new episodes come your way if you're a syracuse sports insider i always send you the link to the podcast when it's posted when it's up sometimes before everybody else gets it so become a syracuse sports insider today just text the word orange to 315-847-3895 two weeks free just 3.99 a month after that all the great opinions, feedback, questions that get priority on this podcast on our Syracuse postgame shows. Next one, by the way, Sunday, the uh, Orange basketball teams had the week off this week for finals and end of the semester stuff, but they'll be back at it in South Dakota on Sunday of all places, taken on Oregon. So we'll have our postgame show to follow there. If you miss it live, that is streamed live on YouTube my Twitter page at Brent Dax Media and on Facebook as well. Of course, the podcast feed will have it as we have all the postgame shows and the podcasts as well. So stay tuned for that. The Boca Bowl next week. We're staying on recruiting and everything that's been going on in the Syracuse sports world. Busy times and uh, we've been having a lot of fun doing it. And our insiders in that constant back and forth with me, I text you, you text me, whatever's on your mind anytime have been really enjoying that. So we would love it if you could become a Syracuse Sports Insider today. This episode, as every episode of Syracuse Sports, has been brought to you by our friends at Krause Health, the exclusive healthcare partner for Syracuse Athletics. We will talk to you next time, guys. Thanks for hanging.